1 Peter chapter 4, verse number 8. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging, as every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I'm listening to a, a podcast called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, um, put out by Christianity Today, and it's about uh, Mark Driscoll, who was a megachurch pastor, who in the mid-90s, I think, he's 26 years old, went out and started uh, a, a church out in Seattle, and just started in his house, I believe they said, and by the mid-2000s, or the early 2000s, <coughs> I think they said it's over 15,000 people were attending that church and it's multiple campuses. So they had the main building and then they had satellite campuses where they would um, video it and put it out uh, on a big screen in other locations. So 15,000 people um, were members of that church. Well, the, the arc of the podcast was eventually it all collapsed. Um, he left and and got out of pastoral ministry for a while. Uh, the church crumbled, and it was just a, just a train wreck. And it just tells the history of how it started, how it rose, and how it sort of dissipated. And in that podcast, he was talking about how a lot of these other megachurches got started. Uh, men that would use particular methods to get people to come to their, their locations. Talked about... Uh, Robert Schuler, how he started his uh, church out there in California, Chuck Smith, Bill Hybels, Rick Warren, how these guys use different techniques to get people to come into um, in, and join their churches. Um, but a lot of the people that know these guys said it didn't matter what those guys would do, they would have been successful at it. So if they hadn't been pastors and been car salesmen, they'd been uh, millionaires selling cars. They just... Uh, they just were gifted people in that regard for selling something and getting people to, to buy into what they were, they were selling. And so this man, Mark Driscoll, was a really good communicator, excellent storyteller. He, he had gifts that he could draw you into what he was saying and just he could get people to follow him. And he was very talented in that regard that he had very natural gifts. And a lot of these guys um, were successful in businesses before they started pastoring and just took that model to church growth. And so, so um, you can get customers into your business by offering them things that they want. And so they would they just apply that same model to the church and, and had big uh, mega churches as a result of that. But if the movement is built upon that man for man's glory, then it's built on the wrong foundation that's going to collapse. And so that's why Driscoll's church crashed. It may have started with noble intentions, but it quickly became about that one man and his gifts. And his purpose of those gifts were 
the, you know, the church was just surrounding him, and he was the most important thing. And, and it was there to promote the pastor, so that, you know, podcasts and videos and books, it was all there to promote him and what he was doing and his gifts. And so people were serving to keep that man's ministry going, the talented man's. It had nothing to do with Jesus. And in fact, it was very harmful to a lot of the people who were attending that assembly because it was all about that man. So when a church revolves around one person's vision or one person's gifts or one person's skills and not the purposes of God, trouble is going to follow. Our text tonight shows us what God has called us to do and our text shows us how God wants us to use our gifts. There's nothing wrong with having natural ability. There's nothing wrong with having gifts. But you'll notice that when God gives gifts to people, or that when a person uses their natural abilities, it's not about ourselves. It's not about promoting ourselves and, and lifting ourselves up. But the gifts that God gives his people are to be used for others and for God's glory. And so where these... Um, these megachurches were centered around sort of a man-centered view of things to promote what people wanted. You find that the gifts that God gives are to be used not to promote self, to lift self up, but to help other people. And so we are to serve one another for the glory of God. And that's the title of the message. We're going to serve one another for the glory of God. And that's what we find starting in um, verse number 8 that we are to love others and to, to show this love toward others. Now it says there that we are to have <clears throat> fervent charity among yourselves for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. So there's an assumption there, isn't there? That Christians would gather that's the assumption of the text. You can't have charity among yourselves if you're not among any other people. The assumption here and the way of Christianity is that God's people are together. You don't find uh, Lone Ranger Christians in the New Testament. And the only time that you find somebody alone in their labor for the Lord, it was a, a terrible situation where Paul was in prison and everybody abandoned him. But even when Paul was in prison, he had men gathered around him that people would come and minister to his needs. Isn't that amazing to think about that? Even when Paul was taken into chains and into bondage, there were people there to come to him, to minister to him, to help him, to care for him. So even in that situation where where the whole point was to isolate him. God's people came to him to be with him. You find that as soon as the people in the book of Acts believed and were saved, what did they do? They gathered, they broke bread together, um, they, they fellowshiped together, they were in one accord together. That is the most natural thing for God's people to gather. And if there is, if there's no desire to be around God's people, then something is wrong. There, there's, there's something wrong whenever God's people don't want to, to be around God's people. 
And so the assumption here in this text is that there will be a gathering together that the, the Christians, and not just gather for the church and then go about our business, but to, to be among ourselves, to live together, um, to care about one another, pray about one another, check on one another, um, live among your, and, and fervent charity among ourselves. So Christians cannot go it alone, should not go it alone, and really shouldn't desire to go it alone. Even whenever the Lord sent the disciples out on their first missionary journey, mm-hmm. sent them out two by two, he sent them out together. And so when, whenever someone is, is isolated, when someone um, isolates themselves, then they're missing out on one of the true blessings that God has for his people, but also missing out on the opportunity to use the gifts that God has given us. Well, how in this particular instance are we to show our love, this fervent love for one another? Well, we, we do that by showing mercy to one another. We are called to love, which is the second great commandment. This is the calling of the Christian, the the law of God, to love one another, to look out for one another, to protect one another, to to care for one another. But not just when everything is going right, everything is going smooth. This love is toward our fellow sinners. Here, Peter, there's another assumption that not only will Christians gather together, but but we'll sin. We'll continue to sin. Not that we want to, not that we ought to, but we are saved people, redeemed, but still have the remaining corruption in our flesh and we're going to sin. And we're going to sin against each other. And we're not always going to do the right thing. We're not always going to do the right thing in the right way. But this love that we have for one another is a a merciful love that we have one for another. And it's not that we just overlook everything. And it's certainly that we don't overlook crimes. That's not what some might take it that way, that that you overlook a crime. We're not to do that. You're not to overlook if someone's harming someone else. You don't say, well, love covers a multitude of sins. If, If a man is beating his wife or something like that, you don't look the other way, or that you overlook sins that must be dealt with in the church. Every sin is a crime against God, and every sin is worthy of damnation, but we all know that not every sin is is equally egregious, we might say, one amongst another. So we use use God-given common sense in these things. But we have mercy on each other. All sin is wrong, but not all sin requires immediate church discipline. You know, think of just being a parent. Um, most here tonight uh, can think in those terms that disobedience is disobedience. If a child disobeys his parents, that's wrong and it's always wrong. But, you know, sneaking a cookie out of the cookie jar and stealing the car and running it off the bridge, 
you know, th those are uh, those are two different types of disobedience, and, and we wouldn't put those on the same plane of, of punishment or, or discipline, that kind of thing. All sin is wrong, but not all sin requires immediate church discipline. So someone could have a harsh word towards us, and that would be a sin. But we could have mercy. And we could say, they've sinned against us, but I don't know what kind of day they had. I don't know what's going on, and, and I'm not going to make a big deal of it. I'm going to let it slide. Because they're not usually like that, and then I don't think that they, they meant me any harm. So I'm going to be merciful. And I'm going to drop it, and I'm not going to think any more about it. Now, if it happened every week, if it happened, you know, several times, every time you saw a person over and over, then you might have a word with them. But if somebody uh, sins against us with their mouth for, for one time, you could say, well, I'm going to have mercy. I love that child of God. I'm going to think the best of them. I'm going to take the best take this in the best light, and I'm just going to let it slide. Gossip is a sin. But we could have mercy on someone and 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 let that love cover the sin. Just drop it and go on. In these cases, we can have mercy on people and forgive them. Love can cover the sins for the sake of the person and the sake of the church. So, so again, we use wisdom. We don't want to let someone live in habitual sin if we could um, help them and confront them to where they could repent of that sin. But if someone... You know, if it's a, a one-time situation and out of the normal character of the person, well, we can love that person for the sake, for their sake and show mercy. See, that, that's a selfless act. That is not putting ourselves first. That is putting the sake of the church and the sake of the individual and the sake of unity first. So we can love one another by putting others first, not ourselves Another instance of this is with hospitality. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. Or opening your home to help those in need. The Greek word, from what I understand, is a compound word from love and then strangers, or entertaining strangers, as it says in uh, Hebrews. It's just graciously helping people in need. Back in these days, traveling was rough. You couldn't very well go to a Holiday Inn and stay nice and comfortably if you were traveling from Jerusalem up um, into to, to Ephesus or someplace. You know, if you had to walk or take an animal of some sort, not only would you have to walk or, or be out in the the climate, but it was slow. Options were limited, dangerous. Christians were already um, against the, you know, up against it in these days and times anyway. And, and perhaps a, a, a man going around as a missionary or, or preaching the gospel would come to a town. Where is he going to stay? Again, he's not going to get a a hotel or something like that. Well, Christians would be open and ready to help those who are in need. Um, in Third John, we find that this was commendable. The apostle says, 
in verse number uh, six, speaking uh, to, to Gaius, he said, Beloved, thou do, doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well. Because that, for his name's sake, they went forth taking nothing of the Gentiles. So, um, or we therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. So here's Gaius that would open his home up to those who would preach the gospel, to Christian travelers who would be going through, and he was a fellow helper. He received um, those fellow helpers, and, and he was, that was part of his gospel ministry was just opening his home up and letting somebody uh, rest there at his house and, and giving him a hot meal. So, this might not be the, the exact situation, might not be as applicable today um, as it was back then. Traveling is much easier. Um, go a whole lot farther, a lot quicker. But, but the principle remains the same, to be open, to be ready to help, to be ready to open our homes up and, and provide to someone in need, and to do so without murmuring. To use hospitality not only to, to strangers, but here to one another without grudging. So this one another would be to God's people and even those in the church that we can help if somebody needs help, we help them. If somebody um, needs needs something that we can help them with, then without grudging, without grumbling, without complaining, without being resentful, without holding it over top of them, without saying, keeping score, but willingly look out for others in need and to help others who need our help. To be ready to assist, provide whatever we can. Now, in this instance, it didn't take someone with a lot of money to be able to do this. It just took somebody with the willingness to do so. Um, so this love not only will cover the cover transgressions that someone might commit against us uh, for the sake of unity. But it also opens up our homes and opens up our hearts to be able to, to provide for someone. This is a gift of God. This is a way that we can serve the Lord. Now, see, right, right off, we can see how much that's different from what I was saying about the self-centered model. That it's not about taking a stand and making sure you get uh, what's coming to you but it's being willing to humble yourself for the sake of others. It's not about keeping score and making sure you get all that's coming to you, but it's about taking what God has given you and helping others with it. And then we find the gifts that God gives us are to be used for the blessing of one another. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whatever the gift is that God has given his people, let us use that to serve, to minister that same gift to one another. 
So as God gives us gifts, we are to use those to gift others um, with what God has given us. We're to be stewards of the gifts that God gives us. Steward is a house manager. He's, he's someone that runs things for the person who owns the house or owns the property. So if a man has a large house, a farm or whatever, he might, he might hire a steward. And he tells the steward, here's the house, here's the keys, here's the, the money. Make sure the crops are planted and harvested. Make sure the animals are fed. Take the animals to the, to the market. Sell the, the crops. You're in charge of the house. I give you authority to, to do these things. Here's the things that I, I give you. You live here, but it's mine that I'm giving to you for you to use according to my purposes. Well, we are stewards of this grace of God, of these gifts. So God has employed us. God has put us to work to serve other people and to glorify his name. So that, that's the task that we have. So God has put you to work tonight to glorify his name and to serve one another. Barnes said this, he said it pretty good. He said, God intends to do other people good. But he means to do it through your instrumentality. And has entrusted you as a steward to do what he designed to confer on you. So God has purposed to bless the members of this church. And God has employed you as a steward of particular gifts to be the means by which he will bless those people. So God has a means to bless me in a particular way as we gather to worship. And so God has used you, he has employed you to use your gifts in order that his purpose in blessing me would come to fruition and vice versa. So that's how we are stewards of these gifts that God has, he wants, God's design is that we glorify his name and bless one another with the things that he gives us. And so that, that is the task that we, we've been entrusted with. Now these manifold gifts or these various gifts are from God. And they're to be communicated by us. They're to be used for the good of other people. to be seen as a grace and that we are the stewards of that grace and it could be simply our natural abilities but a natural ability comes from somewhere right a natural ability comes from um, what God has provided us but it is God working in us to use that ability for his good and for his glory there's various gifts. There's not just one gift. There's not just a gift of preaching or a gift of, of teaching, and that's it. There are various gifts, manifold gifts. And these gifts are part of God's wonderful grace and how it's manifested in all these various ways in the lives of believers. So in 
nowadays, you talk about spiritual gifts, people think about miracles, and they think about you know, having visions, God speaking to them in certain ways, and, and that kind of thing. But that's not the gifts that, um, that, that God bestows upon us uh, in these days and times. But it is just the normal gifts, the everyday gifts that um, he has, he provides to us. So in First uh, Corinthians, number twelve, chapter twelve, verse number four, it says, "Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord." And there are diversities of operations, but it is all the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit withal. For to one is given the Spirit, the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge, but of, by the same Spirit. Another faith by the same Spirit. Another gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that the one and self-same spirit dividing to every man severally as he will. So in these um, apostolic times, there was um, sign gifts that God had, had provided to these churches. Now it says um, in the next chapter, Verse number nine or verse number eight, charity never faileth. Whether there are prophecies, they shall fail, whether there's tongues, they shall cease, whether there's knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away with. So there's all those gifts that he was talking about right there, um, listed. And he said they're gonna fail, they're gonna stop, they're gonna come to an end. Because when when we have the completed word, there's no more need for those, um, those gifts, but charity never ceases. Love never stops. But the point I wanted to draw from in 1 Corinthians 12 is that these are gifts given by God to profit with all or with a view to profit the whole body. So the gifts that we have, even tonight, or with a purpose, to profit with all, to profit everyone, with a view to profit the body, not to profit ourselves, but to profit um, one another. So in Romans chapter number 12, verse number 4, says, for as we have many members in one body, and many members not, have not the same office. So we being many are one body in Christ, and every one member of the, one another. So each individual here are members of the one body. There's unity here. But not everybody the, does the same thing. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. For the prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. For ministry, let us wait on our ministry. For he that teacheth on teaching, 
For he that exhorteth, or an exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Now all these are gifts that God blesses his church with. So you have someone who has a gift of teaching, that God has given them the capabilities of, of not only understanding the text, but being able to think it through and explain it in a way that's simple and a way that can be comprehended, a way that someone who doesn't know the truth can be instructed, while at the same time someone who does know the truth can be edified. That is a gift of the Spirit. Or there's someone who has a gift of service, of ministry, perhaps speaking particularly of, of the deacon, the office of the deacon. Or he that exhorteth, or someone that encourages other people. If someone has a gift to, to encourage people and exhort people and to, to, to have people, to, to enable people just to, to carry on in the service of the Lord, that is a gift of the Spirit. Or administration, ruling, showing mercy. All these are gifts that, that bless one another. And they're needful. And so if God, not if, but whatever God has given you that gift, show diligence in that to improve upon it and to use those gifts as a steward. And if your gift is giving, as it says, let him do it with simplicity. So if God has given you a a cheerful spirit to give and to be hospitable, and you have the opportunity to do that. You say, well, this well, I'm a steward. God has provided me those means, and I'm a steward of those means. And so I'm going to use those means as, a, as gifts of my, as, from, as a gift, I'm going to return it unto the Lord for his glory by using it to help my brothers and sisters. Sometimes we find out what gift we have by serving. And so a lot of the times you will hear a message like this and, and you might think, well, what's my gift? What's God want me to do? What am I supposed to be doing in the church? Well, I think that sometimes you might not know what your gift is until you just start doing it. And what I mean is you just... You see a need, you see someone that could use help, and you say, well, that person needs some encouragement. I'm going to try to encourage them. Or that pe- person needs some help, I'm going to try to help them. Or that person might need some understanding in the situation, I'm going to try to try to teach them. Or, you know, the, so, uh, a need for, to feel them for Sunday school, feel them for me or something. You say, well, there's a need the church has. There's a hole in the church here. There's something that's lacking. And you think, well, I could try. I could try to fill it. And you might try and say, well, that was a disaster. (laughs) I'm not going to do that anymore. Or you might say, well, that wasn't half bad. If you wait until you get a vision for God, until you serve, you know, a, a dream in the night to tell you to go and 
use this particular gift, you'll never use the gift that God has given you. You might not even realize you have a particular gifting until you see or feel a need for help in the church. So think about it this way. God gives gifts to help one another. That's what we've seen. Paul said it and Peter said it. We've seen it, I believe, three different places that the purpose of these gifts is to help one another. And now, you see that here in the church, something happens and there's a need that rises. In our body, there's something that somebody needs or there's some gap that needs to be filled. We don't hire it out. You can't go and put a job listing that a particular need needs to be filled. I guess you can. I've seen those before. Um, Churches hiring piano players and that kind of thing that put ads in the paper and so forth. But you see that need. Well, how does God fill that need? Well, in the body. So when you see that, you say, well, there's the need I'm going to try. In Acts chapter number 6, how did the office of the deacon come about? There was a need. There weren't people saying, let's devise and all, let's, let's set something up so we can give somebody something to do. No, there was a need. Widows were being neglected. And so the apostles said, church, there's a need. Look out and find people who are already doing this type of work. Honest report. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Wise people who are already busy about the work of the Lord. And we'll just direct them into this area. To, to use what they're already doing, serving the Lord, um, and, and to do that. So there was a need, and it was filled within the church. Or sometimes you might have a desire to do something. But you say, well, I don't know if the Lord would have me to do that. Well, that requires just trying it out. You can't know if you can do something until you do it. I mean, it's very simple. Very simple concept. Somebody might say, well, I think the Lord's called me to preach. Well, some people will say, well, try to avoid it. I always thought the best thing to do is just, well, go at it. Because one way or the other, you know, if you tell them not to, then they're, they're, they're wondering if they should. But if you tell them to go ahead and try it and then they fail, then they'll know for sure if, if they were supposed to be doing it or not. Right? It just requires trying it out. So I don't know if the Lord would have me to, to show mercy or to, to give or to open up my home. Well, the only way to know is, to, is just to follow that thought that you have with prayer and see if the Lord uh, blesses you in it. Our gifts require honing and improving. And it's not always contrary to our natural inclinations. So what I mean by that is just because it's a spiritual gift doesn't mean it goes contrary to natural abilities. William Carey was a famous Baptist missionary. He went to India to, um, to preach the gospel. He went over there and he became 
a statesman. He was an educator. He started schools and colleges. He translated the Bible into eight different languages and dialects in India. Hundreds were saved during his decades of work there. But he didn't, he didn't wake up and just said, I think I'm going to go to India. Before he went to India, he pastored a small church. And he himself was an educated man who mastered Latin and Greek and Hebrew and Dutch and French and English. So here was a man with the gift of language. We might say he had the gift of tongues because to know that many languages, not just to know them, but to master them. And then go to India and translate the Bible into eight different languages by himself and to establish schools and teach people English and the Bible and, and to preach and to pastor and he did all those things. God had given this man a brilliant mind and a gift for languages. And then he put those gifts to use in a small church in England. And this Baptist was faithful in that small church and he used his gifts, but God had, had moved him on. Now, he used what was natural to him and he proved upon that for the glory of God. Now, if I just came in here Sunday and said, Lord, call me to India and I'm going to go and translate Bibles and, uh, and I'm going to... You know, teach people in India. You'd ask me, Brother Doug, do you even know what language they speak in India? And I'd say, well, no, but um, I had a dream that God called me to go. Well, you might, you would be wise to say, well, maybe he didn't call you because, number one, you can't even speak, you don't even know what language they speak, let alone can you speak it, right? So just because somebody has a hankering to do something doesn't mean that God has gifted them for it but at the same time, God can take a man's natural abilities and then you can use those for the good of others. We have a responsibility to oversee or to use those gifts that God gave us for the good of others, but we also have to be a good steward. And if we can't... Um, we want to use our time wisely. We want to use our life wisely. We don't want to be going the wrong direction. Um, but we want to use what God has given. So if you have the ability to teach, show mercy, whatever the case is, we are to, to use those for God's glory. He goes on and says, if any man uh, speak. So he's talking about um, preaching here, back in our text. If a man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If a man may minister, let him do it as the ability which God giveth. So if a man's going to preach, let him preach the word. That's the oracles of God. Being a good gift of communicator is not the final test. Just because someone can speak well and is a good orator doesn't make the man ready and fit to, to preach. He has to preach the word. He has to know the word of God. And if any man does that, do it to the best that you can. Do it with all you've got. So whatever God has gifted you with, do it with everything that you got. Give yourself to this work. Give yourself to loving others in the church. 
give yourself over to helping one another, loving one another, trying to build the church up to strength. I'm not talking about numbers. I'm talking about strengthening and uniting the church um, to, to, to love the Lord, do everything that we can for the good of other people. And God will bless you and he will bless the church. If you preach, preach the best that you can. Let him do as the ability which God giveth. God gives people different abilities. Some people, God's given some preachers more abilities than others. Well, Peter doesn't say preach as good as Paul did or as good as Apollos did. He said preach according to the ability that God gives you. Teach according to the ability God gives you. Give according to the ability God gives you. Pray according to the ability that God gives you. Exhort. Show mercy. Show kindness with everything that God has given you. God's, we receive the gifts from God and we use it the best we can. It doesn't matter if it's collecting the money. It doesn't matter if it's um, taking care of the prayer list, teaching Sunday school, cleaning the church building. Whatever the case is, do it with all your heart and all your mind. It doesn't matter if it's visiting the sick, writing letters to people, sending cards to people, using hospitality, cooking dinner for people, um, giving, whatever it is. Do it with all your heart for the good of the church. Don't say, well, no one, what about me? No, what about others? What about, what can I do for other people? And take that gift and use it for your glory or for God's glory. So, you know, my sons have an amazing talent that God has given them. Both sides of their family, Crystal's family, my family, and actually both sides of my family, my mom and my dad's side of the family, have lots of music in their family. God has given them a tremendous talent. But you know, they would have never known that they could play music if, in God's providence, well, if we hadn't moved up here, really, they would have never had the ability. Why would they have never known that? Because they would have never tested those, that ability. They would have never known that they could play stringed instruments had they never been put to the test and used them. But you might not have any idea how many hours, how much time these guys put into playing their music. So the two minutes worth of song that you hear on, on Sunday Sunday, have hours and hours and hours of practice behind it. God gave them talent. But they had to improve upon that. They had to practice. They had to put the work in. And so God has gifted you. According to scriptures, he's gifted you. But it's, it's just going to lie there dormant unless you use it. And so you might have a gift for, for kindness and mercy. But you're not going to use it if you don't gather together. You might have a tremendous gift for exhortation. But if you're never around your brothers and sisters, it's setting up on the shelf. It's being wasted. Because the ground in which God has given his people to, to use this is... He, is in the, the church. This is why God gives us those gifts for his glory. We minister to one another 
that God in all things might be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom praise and dominion forever and ever. This is the reason for the gifts, the glory of God. To benefit one another, to glory, glorify God. This is the motivation for serving our God. The service of the Lord is for our happiness and his holiness, or our holiness and his glory. Our happiness, our holiness, and his glory. What what a privilege that is. Sometimes we can browbeat ourselves and say, well, you better do this or, or else. But sometimes it's good just to think about the tremendous blessing that we have. God says, I've made you a steward. I've given you a calling. I've given you a life's purpose. And this life's purpose that I've given you, this mission, is to help the church and love the church and love one another. And by doing this, it will, I'll bless you with joy. And I'll bless you in your sanctification. And you'll glorify my name. You lift my name up. And just through the simple acts of kindness and obedience and, and faithfulness, to come out here and to love one another in this church, it's such a high privilege as a steward of the grace of God that he has bestowed upon you that God in heaven is honored and glorified by those works. It's a, it's a wonderful thought. It's a wonderful thing to, to consider how, how we can be blessed and bless others in the service.